Somewhere in the bowels of the city that never sleeps. Kevin McCullough, radio host with Salem Media. Is a man also not sleeping. Syndicated radio talk show host Kevin McCullough. And that guy would like a word with you. Many of you know him from his looks for Damas. Of course that Kevin show is going to be great. The only thing that could be greater, of course, would be that Donald show. But we don't have that, so we have that Kevin show. Featuring the music of Dick Tunney and the Dream in Color Orchestra. Yet to come this hour on That Kevin Show, he's a tall man who must be stopped, Peter Young. She's all about those murders in the building, Selena Gomez. And the spotlight falls on she and Coldplay. And now, from Times Square, where his honor the mayor is outpacing the non-binary pizza rats for bakery, here's that heaven. It's true, friends. It has to be true. I mean, uh, yeah, announcer Dave said it, but listen, if the New York Times is printing it on the front page, <laughs> oh man, his honor's in trouble. Yeah, there it is. He faked the photo, or his staffers did. Anyway, assignment desk weekend. Allies of President Biden seen here wiping a bit of white powder from his nose are irritated at the increased questioning concerning the bag of cocaine found in the residence of the White House last week. Calling the discovery GOP fodder and BS, uh, of course they would, because who could possibly believe that a president's addict son would be so irresponsible as to actually leave a dime bag of coke behind in the library? or a laptop at a repairman's office, or a diary describing inappropriate showering with dad. No, 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 wait, that was his sister. But the point still holds. There's open speculation that the cocaine could belong to someone other than the president's son, but who else could possibly have shown visible signs of unexplained lack of coherence that's been anywhere near the White House? We should always find times to express how we feel about the moment. That is a reflection of joy, because, you know, it comes in the morning. <laughs> Experts are expressing astonishment at the administration's invocation of the Hatch Act as a reason for not giving straight answers regarding the cocaine in the White House. For those of you uninitiated, the Hatch Act prevents the sitting president from using the White House for any type of campaign activity. And I can't blame him because answering the actual questions that reporters were asking truthfully likely would have a distinct benefit to at least one candidate's campaign. It appears that the White House is attempting to spin the narrative of the Coke in the library story. To this end, the White House has already corrected the location of where they originally claimed it had been found, uh, originally saying it had been found in a high traffic area, that it might have been a tourist that had left it there. 
Where uh, where this was discovered uh, is a heavily traveled area where many White House uh, West Wing, I should be even more specific, uh, West Wing visitors uh, come through uh, this particular area. I just don't have anything more to share. It is under investigation by the Secret Service. This is Accordingly, Congress is investigating the matter and the Secret Service will be testifying before the Oversight Committee quite soon. Sensing the public's anxiety from this lack of disclosure, Assignment Desk Weekend commissioned our first poll late this week to see who the public might think the cocaine likely belonged to. The options in the poll were a tourist, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, or some guy named Hunter. The White House speculation that the coke was left by a tourist, just for example, did not receive a single vote in the more than several thousand that we uh, took in, while this hunter dude received nearly 100% of the vote. The White House calling the poll too close to call. R&B singer Jill Scott, seen here sprouting demon wings from her scaly spinal column, altered the lyrics to the national anthem this week on the 4th of July. Her rendition called America the home of the slave. singer also then wondered aloud uh, whether it was her song, the lyrics, or the demon wings that kept her from being invited to any happy birthday America parties. <laughs> Gosh, beats me. Katani Brown-Jackson, Associate Justice of the Supreme Court, the first justice to ever not be able to answer the question, what is a woman, was one of the three justices who cited against that decision late last week that was so controversial concerning affirmative action. The decision prevents racism from being used in college admissions. Most people think that's a good thing. But Justice Jackson was shocked when a new poll revealed this week that black Americans support the decision two to one. That's 67% for those of you that went to Hunter Biden's elementary school. And finally, a supermarket employee was fired this week for filming two men as they decided to shoplift cartfuls of groceries and goods on Father's Day. In broad daylight, he went out and taped them, and the police found his footage so useful it helped them in apprehending the men. But he was fired anyway. So let me understand this. In 2023, the man who prevents the crime is the bad guy? Note to Jill Scott, America, the land of everything for free and the death of the brave. There, I fixed it for you. And that's Assignment Desk Weekend. My name is Nanya Newt. I was about 15 years old when I was captured. 
My mom had spent the last few days teaching me all about what it meant to be a good wife and a mom, showing me how to cook and sew. She had hoped I would get married in the future. One day I was out collecting firewood, and that was when the Arabs found me and captured me and took me to Sudan without the chance to tell my family goodbye. It took me many days to walk the complete journey. They gave us boiled sorghum as we went, and the men that had been captured with us faced grave dangers. They were considered to be spies, and most of them were killed right in front of us. Upon arrival in the north, I was sold to a master in Miriam village, and then I was sold almost as quickly to another Arab in Magalagate. He made me work for his family, sweeping the compound and washing the dishes. They worked me long and terrible hours, pounding sorghum, fetching water. And then they said, in order to be a good Muslim woman, I would need to be circumcised. I was held down as it happened, and then I was forced to marry. Against my will, they forced me to work even when I was sick. If I did anything that made them angry, they would beat me. My master never bought me any clothes, never paid me for any of my work, and barely ever fed me. Then one day, I heard about a CSI retriever, and I ran to find them in the town. As it turned out, they were freeing slaves in my region, and they had not known about me. But I think God allowed me to find them because they brought me home. We walked that same journey back to South Sudan. And today I thank God because I am free. I thank the Arab retriever because he helped. I thank CSI and for those who gave. I cannot thank those of you who gave money to help us become free ever enough in all of my life. But I do hope that my prayer is answered, that we will not stop until they are all free. Friends, the phone number is 888-342-1010. Every single human slave that we liberate tonight will be matched. It is part of an ongoing matching challenge from a single listener, a single donor that is challenging all of us to step up. So please be as generous as you can. Uh, Liberate a woman just like Nanya Nude. Uh, Just like that woman's story, you can make a difference. 888-342-1010-888-342-1010 or go to bringherhome.org. Ready or not, you'll be right back. My next guest may have the most unique and compelling story of anybody we have featured on this show. Uh, He is uh, originally from the East Coast. He grew up in the uh, New Jersey area, but now uh, considers himself a Montana mountain man. Well, I don't know if he's a mountain man or not. But anyway, he moved west, went west a while ago. But he's penned uh, a most interestingly uh, titled Stop the Tall Man and Save the Tiger memoir. 
And it's all about a journey that I think uh, many will find quite interesting. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together and please welcome Peter Yellen. Hello, Peter. um, How are you doing? I'm doing well. And you're a TV guy. Out West, people would know you from uh, some of your work with uh, sports and some of the the TV stuff that you've done. Um, Why at this stage of life did you feel it was necessary to tell this story? Wow, great question. Haven't had that one. Well, it all kind of came to a head uh, about five, six years ago when my wife left me. And so what happened was I went along to get along with my wife for almost 20 years um, and getting along with Uncle Robert, who was not related at all, but he was the little cult leader of our tiny little religious cult, which at the time I didn't realize it. I knew he was weird and odd. He had some crazy beliefs. But, um, you know, once she left me, uh, they agreed that I was the devil and a Satan and a, a liar and all the kinds of horrible things. They taught my kids to hate me. Friends and family really finally rallied around me when I let them know what was going on because I had kept it secret for so long. And so now with eyes to see and ears to hear, the Lord has helped me realize that, yeah, I was in a cult. I was in a tiny little religious cult, was brainwashed, but thankfully I've recovered. And it was wow. it was a wild ride. A lot of my listeners uh, may be very skeptical about cults and religion in general, and even the idea of a God. Um, I certainly do believe that there is one. Uh, But let's talk about this story. Where does it begin? Well, it begins in 1996 when I met my uh, future wife, Paige. That's what I call her in the book. And she had had a fascinating dream right before she met me. So that's the title of the book. And the dream was so important. She referenced it many years later in her testimony. She's in a house with a boyfriend at the time. There's a tiger on the loose. And if it finds her, it's going to kill her. Then the door opens and a tall man comes in. She can't see the tall man's face, but he's there to get rid of the tiger. She hides. The boyfriend disappears. Tall man gets rid of the tiger. Now, your listeners can't tell, but I'm six foot five. And Uncle Robert, who tried to claim that he was the tall man, is a five foot six guy from Syria. Again, not related to anybody. So he writes this crazy long letter, sends it to Paige, convinces her she's not a Christian, turns the dream and the letter upside down on its head. And then she spends the better part of our marriage trying to stop me, the tall man, from exposing this Uncle Robert, because I believe the Lord gave her that dream as a warning. This guy in your life that you revere and honor is not who he thinks he is. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. And that right there is pretty much the synopsis of our 20-year marriage. Take us through some of the uh, critical moments um, as you as you moved from place to place. You were raised a Christian. Um, yes. And you, you've already referenced the Lord a few times in this discussion. Um, were you swept up into the the little Syrian man's um, narrative? Were, did, did, were you a believer? So the... The important point, Kevin, is that, you know, cult leaders don't just start off by spouting lies and nonsense. They sound really good at first. They sound like they have the truth. And oftentimes they do. For instance, Uncle Robert read to us from the Bible. The analogy I give is if you miss hit a golf ball by like an eighth of an inch, okay, 100 yards down the fairway, it's way off to the left or way off to the right. Well, five, 10 years down the road of Uncle Robert reading the Bible, and then he'd give it his little perverse spin, you're way off from what the true gospel means. 
For instance, he thought that the Jews were out to control the world and try and control all Christians. He felt that casinos were the true places of worship and not the churches that people go to on Sunday. He thought in order to teach children discipline, you had to crush them, crush the will of the child, rather than, yes, spare the rod, spoil the child, but the rod of correction, not to crush the child. And I could go on and on and on. And this happened very slowly and subtly over many years. So finally, I was the one who asked all the questions. And I kept getting in trouble for asking too many questions. And I finally caved and allowed him to, quote, unquote, save me, which I knew was fraudulent and unnecessary. But that's what he did with everybody, all the adults in our tiny little cult. You weren't saved unless you went through him first. So there were additional what, what we would claim extra biblical steps that had to be taken in order to achieve salvation. Correct. The salvation message, as you know, is quite simple. It's a free gift. You can't earn it, and you don't need anyone else's approval. But we had to go through him and his steps first. Before then, he would say, well, now you're ready to be saved. And that's just unbiblical. It's wicked. You know, it's interesting. Um, the recent phenomenon of the uh, Duggar family's two daughters um, speaking up and being willing to be interviewed for the uh, new short series that deals with Bill Gothard and the Institute's that he would teach um, sound remarkably similar to not, not in substance, but in, in style as to what you are describing uh, of this uncle Robert. And I'm, I'm curious, are there more people caught up in some of these cult like activities than even realize it? Well, I would think so. Um, Stephen Hassan re wrote a great book that really helped me in my recovery. It's called combating cult mind control. So cults come in all shapes and sizes, right? They all look very different. Now, we didn't look like a cult, but at its foundation, at its core, a cult is What was your little group control. referred to as? Did he did, did Robert refer to it as a church? Was it a small group gathering? What did how did he how would he have uh, classified it? You know, we didn't have a name. You you won't find anything on him on the internet. We would have our little conferences every year. So we would have conferences in northern Idaho. We'd go listen to him, and it was tiny at its most maybe 12 people, 12 to 15 people, just my family, uh, and then my in-laws, then him and his wife, and one or two other guys. That was it. And my kids, very small. Was the purpose from the outset, do you think, to separate your wife from you? What, what, how, why was she so susceptible to it, and it, it took you dragging and screaming to become part of it? Yeah, great question. So... You have to picture Uncle Robert, this little short five foot six guy, bald, bulbous nose, olive complexion. He never had a job that I knew of, was always reliant on our tithes. So we sent him tithe money. And, you know, he had no really career accomplishment or achievement. And my former wife was tall, beautiful, two master's degrees. So with her in his fold, in his flock, he had instant cachet. So she was probably his most important convert. And here I am, I marry into all this little craziness, and I'm always asking questions. What do you mean the Jews are out to control the world? You know, what do you mean during 9-11, 80,000 people died? What do you mean Truman and, and President Roosevelt were Jews? And I kept asking these questions, and Paige and my in-laws bought everything hook, line, and sinker. So as I asked all these questions, eventually, I was probably seen as a threat. Wow. 
Uh, we're speaking with uh, Peter Young, who's the author of the memoir called Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger. He just described where the title came from in the dream. And uh, he has some pretty interesting endorsements from this. Uh, in the New York area, we've heard about the the Nixon uh, cult and what was happening with some of those. But some of the survivors from there have endorsed this. And uh, you can find it at your favorite place to buy books. We're coming right back from New York. Don't go away. Ready or not, he'll be right back. From Times Square, it's that Kevin show, and yet to come, uh, of course, the music spotlight uh, where we'll uh, revisit uh, this week's uh, guest artist and looking forward to that. We're talking with Peter Young, Save, uh, Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger. Uh, two very interesting uh, characters in a dream that his former wife had, uh, who, Peter, as you were describing it before we went to break, I was sitting there listening to this, uh, and when you said that your, your wife was tall, very attractive, and that she brought cachet to uh, the cult peddler's um, message. It's it's so easy to see how that happens. Uh, and and she was she was like uh, the calling card. Well, if she, if she the to the double master's degree person is is believing what I have to say, then you're you're obviously uh, in the wrong if you don't agree with it. Yeah. So again, cults do come in different shapes and sizes and look differently, but they all have at least one thing in common: they have a cult leader narcissistic, makes all the rules, but is above all the rules and has a grandiose sense of self. And so Uncle Robert checked all of those boxes, but yet we didn't have a big group. He claimed that he had conversations with former Fed Chairman Alan Greenspan, congressmen and senators. He wrote a letter to Saddam Hussein before Gulf War Number 2, warning him not to go to war with us. So again, he always thought he had this audience of important people who listened to him. I don't think he really did. And so thus, Paige, again, was was very important to him. At some point, you come out of this and you say, I can't do this anymore. And, and you obviously moved on with your life. And now you've detailed it all in this memoir. Are the people that were in the group when you were there, are they still following this man? As far as I know, they are. So I have you know no contact with Uncle Robert whatsoever. Nor really do I have with my old former in-laws. Unfortunately, not much with my former wife either. It's it's it was an awful breakup and divorce. And I really, what was different with me is, you know, most people who who leave a cult, they extract themselves, and there are efforts made to not let them go. I effectively got kicked out. Um, again, trying to get along with my wife and save my marriage, and she was just kind of fed up because I was not following Uncle Robert closely enough. And so she decided to leave me. He, of course, you know, readily agreed. You know, I'm the devil. I'm the Satan. I'm a habitual liar, incapable of being saved. So in essence, I was kicked out and I was devastated, couldn't sleep, lost 30 pounds, was a wreck. And nobody knew. I hadn't told my family for four months what happened. When I finally reconnected with family and friends, they helped me see that, yeah, this was a cult. So, yeah, I've moved on. Talk, talk about that moment, though, because I think it's really important to give hope to people that may be watching this and saying, I, I don't know, some of the stuff you're saying sounds very uh, eerily like stuff that I've wandered into. You you finally did talk to your parents, your family. 
Um, what was that like? Had, did, did they have any idea at all? Well, they were stunned. They had yeah. no idea. But they immediately supported me, showered me with love. They were there every step of the way. Well, I'm sure that some of those conversations weren't easy to have, though. How did, how did you know, what was their response as you were kind of unveiling what had been going on behind the curtain? So when I first reached out to them, I was still a wreck. And I had told them two things. Please don't say anything negative about Paige or Uncle Robert. I wasn't ready to hear it. I had been brainwashed for about, let's say, two or three years. Now, my former wife, she knows no other life. Uncle Robert was an authority figure in her life before she was born because he had brainwashed her parents. But for me, it was, you know, I was skeptical for years, brainwashed for a few. So when I came out, I just wasn't ready for some people to say, this guy's crazy. Eventually I got there and eventually they said those things. But those people had to be patient and they were. My, my, my family and friends were very patient. There are people that are going through um, this type of thing. And the sad thing is most people in their lives won't know about it until it's too late or after the fact, like with your situation. If you had the chance to talk to somebody who by chance was listening to us at this moment, what would your encouragement be uh, if they felt alone and felt brainwashed and felt uh, over overwhelmed by the circumstances that they found themselves in? Well, I think the first thing to point out would be if the person is brainwashed, they're probably not going to know it. So they won't feel it. They won't recognize it. It'll be the friends and family that will recognize it in them. You only know after the fact that you were brainwashed, that you were in a cult. So really, the important thing is to recognize the red flags quickly and early. Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger memoir. Peter Young is our guest, and uh, I hope that you'll uh, get the book and uh, be encouraged by it. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for telling it to us tonight. Kevin, thank you very much for having me. And if you want to know more about what Peter's doing, authorpeteryoung.com is the website, authorpeteryoung.com. Kevin McCullough coming right back. That Kevin Show. Ready or not, you'll be right back. Kevin McCullough back with you from Times Square, and we have a little fun. We try to have a little bit of a laugh, and uh, we, we try to give you the breaking news on the biggest stories of the day every single week. But I cannot let this summer go by and lose even one ounce of momentum on the incredible work that you're doing in helping us liberate 192 women and girls who are caught in slavery in North Sudan. Uh, thus far, as of today, uh, we know that 68 have been liberated because of your generosity. And that's on top of the hundreds and thousands that you've helped us in the last four to five years uh, right here uh, with Kevin McCullough. So, so honored, so humbled, so grateful. But uh, friends, if we are going to liberate all 192 by the end of this summer, or the end of this year, that means that there are a lot left to go, 127 to be exact. 
And I believe that there are at least 127 people listening to Kevin McCullough, that Kevin show right now, that could do a one-time gift of $250 or maybe a 10-month gift of $25 or a five-month gift of $50 or a two-month gift of $125 to liberate a life right now, especially when you understand the amazing good work that it does. Uh, what, what, what you're talking about is essentially taking a young woman who has been abducted since she was in her early teens, has been ritualistically raped, um, repeatedly abused in every way fashionable, verbally, physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, oftentimes impregnated by the slave master and then have the children stolen from her uh, once they are weaned. Uh, these are women that have lived extraordinarily hard, difficult existences. But when Christian Solidarity International, our partner, shows up, liberates them, brings them back to a place of safety, begins to hear their story, begins to let them uh, express what they've been unable to express for the last 12, 15, 20 years. Uh, tears flow, joy happens, and the amount of suffering that they had while they were in slavery is turned into equal amounts of enthusiasm and happiness. But the one thing that they are very, very concerned about is that we make sure we get all of them. This year, I was very pleased to hear from the management of Christian Solidarity International in that uh, for many years, oftentimes those children of these slaves have not been able to be liberated, uh, especially with the moms, but even at all. But this year, we have started liberating a number of children that had been previously taken from their mothers. And so it's an exciting thing to reunite a child and a mom. It's uh, it's a beautiful thing to see an act of um, real joy uh, take place uh, in, in terms of liberating people that have been enslaved. And if we believe that human trafficking and that human slavery is an affront uh, to human dignity, if, if we honestly believe that this is something that, that we need to not only uh, put an end to, but to speak out against. There is no better way to do that right now than to liberate those who are enslaved. And so CSI working with uh, partners in 18 different countries to end human trafficking and human slavery, but they cannot do it alone. And your gift of $250, uh, though it, it does have some impact on the uh, liberation itself, there's a vaccine that's supplied for the slave master's cattle. That's what they trade the slave, the life of the slave for. You give me a vaccine, I'll give you the slave. Um, we'll gladly do that. Uh, but then the rest of that $250 provides them everything they need to start their life over again when they've been reestablished in South Sudan. It includes utensils to use for cooking, gardening, fishing. It includes um, safety materials like tarps and blankets to protect themselves from the weather and from the elements. It includes a year's worth of grain, of sorghum grain to eat and have nutritious food every single day. It includes a year's worth of seed to plant a second crop so that that year you are developing the crop for the following following year. And then probably the most fun part of all of it is being able to give them their own little she-goat that helps them uh, begin a new life, micro-enterprise, have little she-kids, and uh, sell those and provide for their family. But this is what you give with your $250. You're impacting girls and women whose lives are a lot like a woman named... I was a child when I was abducted by the Arabs. My parents used to own livestock, and my mother would do all the cooking for us. I don't remember the year that I was captured. There had never been any problems in our village. Then one day, all of a sudden, we heard that there were Arabs attacking Dinka villages throughout the south. We were so worried, we could not even sleep at night. It was a big concern to my mother and my father. 
We were told that these Arabs were heavily armed and would kill all the animals and people when they would attack. We were very scared. Then one morning, they attacked our village. We scattered in different directions and I ran, but I was captured. My entire village was burned down and I've never seen a member of my family since. Then I was taken north into slavery. My eyes saw horrific things on that trip to the north. Women were raped right in front of us. Men were beaten and four men were killed because they tried to fight back. They were shot dead before our eyes. Once at the slave master's house, I was pretty much starved and worked brutal hours every single day doing difficult and very, very hard work. There was no relief. And then they raped me. My slave master did not think of me as a human. He would not even let me go to the hospital when I fell sick. And one day I heard that there was a slave retriever from CSI close by, how I wanted to be free. That retriever secured my freedom. And thank God I was able to return to South Sudan. Thank you to each of you who helped the slaves be free. But please don't stop until we get them all. It's a reasonable request. The phone number is 888-342-1010, 888-342-1010. And your gift right now of only $250 will liberate another girl like a hoke, the one you just heard the story from. The names may sound different to our Western ears, but their hearts, their desires, their lives are no different than your own daughter's. Friends, if you believe that slavery is evil, and if you believe that we should be here to make a difference, then please do. Pick up the phone, 888-342-1010, 888-342-1010. You can also give online by just going to bringherhome.org. That's bringherhome.org or 888-342-1010. That's 888-342-1010. Ready or not, we'll be right back. gentlemen they have played some 95 stadiums on the current tour that they have been conducting uh, they are workhorses in the industry here is Coldplay and Selena Gomez we had a kind of love I thought that it would never end oh my lover oh Turn off all the stars Cause this I know 
that it hurts like so to let somebody go Interpretation of Chris Martin and Selena Gomez, Coldplay, uh, rounding out that Kevin show for this edition. Thank you to Peter Young. Thank you to Carrie Lake for joining us, as well as Coldplay and Selena Gomez. I'm Kevin McCullough. Don't miss any bit of the show? Uh, join us uh, online, on demand, on Instagram, and on SalemNewsChannel.com.